Okay, hello. Welcome to episode 181 of Sack King's Therapy. A landmark episode this is, even though, honestly, it's kind of a weird number, 181. But it is the end of the 2021-2022 NBA season for the Sacramento Kings, for they have not made the play-in nor made the playoffs. So this is the end of their season. And uh, let's talk about the last two games that they played. It was one against the Clippers where they lost. Uh, let me pull up the score. Once, okay, no, 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 that's not the right score. 117 to 98. And then against the Suns, which just happened now, 116 to 109. Uh, let's start with the Clippers game. So with me, of course, is Fong. And he's actually going to go through with you well, most mostly about the game because I unfortunately had to miss it because I was feeling quite under the weather that day. So take us through the Clippers game. Uh, to be honest, I mean, it's the usual Kings, you know, it's what you expect. In the third quarter, they try to, uh, you know, get a pretty good push uh, to, you know, gain back the lead. We were down, man, out. I can't remember numbers now, but... Yeah, we had a 7-0 start. Um, then all of a sudden we were down seven or seven roll start and we are only down seven. And then Clippers go on an eight-two run <laughs> right after. So it's kind of like a pretty bad back and forth uh game. Uh, you know, Lyles and Mitchell tried their best to, you know, bring the game back together, but yeah. Qu- uh, Clippers defense and their offense are man, my gosh. I mean, like, the, the thing... Their offense was really smooth, this game. Well, the thing was, was, was that... Oh, sorry. Sorry to cut you off. But, like, the thing was, like, the Clippers hit a lot of threes. And, like, a lot of the ridiculous variety, especially from Paul Georgian, you know, like, there's only so much you can do. But, like, they gave up way too many easy shots, I thought, throughout the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I learned that, you know. When our second unit came out, uh, we couldn't do much. Uh not many plays were run. It was either Dante trying to make something or, you know, there's Metu out there and whatever <laughs> unit was out there trying to do something. And Clippers just built up that lead back up to, you know, double digits. And there was really no turning back, really. Uh, there was in the third quarter, a pretty nice block, a very clean block from Kada against Man, who tried to do a baseline dunk. Uh, that was nice to see because I, I did he, see that one. Yeah, he oh. like yeah, emphatically sent that shit back. Yeah, and you know, ending that third quarter, Dante hit a buzzer beater free, but nope, uh, they reversed it, so he did not hit that buzzer beater. Uh, in the fourth, you know, Kata, I gotta say, he, he defensively inside the paint, I think he's about just fine for where he's at. Uh, when it comes, uh, you know, outside the paint, try guarding the perimeter. I think he needs to lean in a little more. But other than that, I mean, it's just a work in progress, really. I mean, it's great to see, you know, Kata game minutes actually in the first place. Okay, well, thank you for going through that game. I mean, one of the bright spots is Kata, like him being able to play finally. Um, and I thought he was fine for like the part that I did see, um, like. You know, they try to trap Paul George like early in the game that didn't work out. But like, you know, the defensive effort is there. And like, he's definitely a deterrent for like in the paint, like for the Kings. Like he actually like, you know, 
directs guys to get out of basically whenever he's in the paint the guys try not to go against them on the clippers and mm. like when they did like they were met with some resistance from him. and you know it's a work in progress but i think he will get there and it's finally finally nice to see him get some minutes oh yeah oh man i i should have searched it this, uh, this up uh earlier but Apparently, some wrestlers from New Japan Pro Wrestling were there throwing t-shirts in the fourth quarter. Oh, really? Well, I, I did not know about that at all. I just don't know who they were because, I mean, they were pretty all new to me. So, yeah, maybe we'll search it up later to see who they were. Yes, the Fong, the avid uh, wrestling fan who can't be bothered to watch WWE, um, expecting to know New Japan wrestlers for some reason. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, granted, I probably won't be able to name them either. I honestly don't really care for New Japan other than the big stars, but that's a conversation for another time. Um, yeah, so let, let, let's just let's just quickly kind of let's just quickly transition over to the Suns game because again, I missed most of the game and honestly don't have that much to give to it. Like, it, I don't want to I don't want to be that guy, but I was pretty apathetic to these last two games and like nothing. There's no changing of results after. Uh, these two games so let, let's quickly jump over to the Suns game Kings uh, finally jump off they actually jump off to a good shooting night they shot 14 for 26 from three very good percentage and like Justin Holiday, he came out hot like I think it was 13 points in the first quarter and like he kind of cooled down for the rest of the game but like he was actually really good this game and um other than that, like Kada played well. I thought D- Davion played really well. 18 points, 15 assists. Like Damian Jones had some really good and ones to close the game. Like it was nice to see them be able to um, beat the Suns, but like it really shouldn't have been as close as it was. Like they got a big lead in, in the third quarter and like, you know, they slowly let the Suns chip away like they usually do. And, you know, it was a bit of a, it was a little bit of a, way too close of a game towards the end but they ultimately pull out the win against the Suns' uh let's just say second and third units <laughs> yeah pretty well said because i mean really not much to say to be honest on my end but we this is our second win against the Suns this season right yeah i mean like what they had 18 losses this this year and two of them were against the king somehow that's actually honestly partial part of me thinks we should have won we should have won three three for one against them honestly because there was one game at the golden one center where like we were razor close to beating them but that's a that's a story for another time but ultimately and also like we should have beat them and the, we should have gone four and oh against them you know what i'm gonna go there because all four games were pretty close so there you go <coughs> sorry about that but um yeah, ultimately, it's just nice to see, like, the young guys be able to play. And, like, they played a pretty good game overall. And, again, Davion's showing a lot. I want to see how this carries over next year when he's not the full-time starting point guard. And Keita, like, is he going to get more minutes next year? Because, like, in this game, I thought he was really good again. Like, just, again, whenever he's in the paint, he's definitely a presence down there. And, you know... Like we, we talk about like the Kings needing a four or like another five or basically another rim protecting four or a three, possibly even like to, to play alongside him um, going into next year. Like Kata, if he can somehow like expand his range, could be that guy. He seems to have some really good rim protecting chops to me. Yeah, I guess it just uh, depends on whether or not. Uh, huh. 
Are we going to keep Damian Jones next season? I actually don't know. So he's that. unrestricted. Uh, okay. Then probably not then. But, uh, yeah, I would like to see more of Kata then. Uh, I want to see some, I guess, I want to say, I want to say playmaking because I remember in his draft analysis that we did, he has pretty good court vision. Uh, whether or not he's like in a sticky situation in the paint, he's able to, you know, make those passes out to the perimeter to, you know, just reset pretty much. Yeah, I mean, like, I like to see more of that. He showed some of it this year. Like, granted, it was in very brief, like, moments. Like, he had a, I remember the Grizzlies game we went to, he had a really nice pass to the Ramsey. Um, you know, a bit of a deep cut for you guys. But, like, I, he, we, we don't know what he is. Like, and it's going to take about a, it's going to take about a season or two to really see what he is going to become. But, like, with the flashes he's shown just as a rim protector and as a defensive big, like, there, there's something, there's something to be, there's something there, and I want to see what it is. Yep. Hopefully, in the off season, we'll see more of that. Yeah. Um. Uh, just another, I guess, a quick mention. Josh Jackson had a pretty decent game. Twelve points uh, on on eight shots, six for six from the free throw line. Good, good on him. Yeah. Kind of weird sequence in, I believe, the third quarter or a fourth. It? I don't think it was the fourth. Yeah, fourth quarter where he gets a tech for an elbow on ish gosh I'm gonna put your Wayne right <laughs> uh, yeah I don't I don't know about that tech I thought it was a, I thought it would have been a flagrant but I don't think it, there should be anything there because like he accidentally elbowed him for sure like there was mm-hmm. no like ill intent there it just happened to hit him in the head but yeah that was a weird play yeah pretty much after that um, play the, the ref calls or the ref calling is kind of went a little downhill in my opinion it's it's just weird calls throughout the rest of the game uh pretty much right after that play he gets an offensive foul and you know you're lucky that you turn off the commentators because we were we were watching the phoenix commentators and <laughs> they're like where's where's the flagrant there where, where's where's that hmm? we've got a rank problem we've got to rank the worst announcers like at some point, like my top, like just off the top of my head, like Atlanta's really bad. Um, the the or- New Orleans one is pretty annoying. Um, and like Houston. the Sun, the Suns is kind of up to yeah, Houston because of. I mean, I, I, to be fair, like my standards for Ryan Hollins is so low. Like he just tries to hype up his team, and he doesn't really know what he's talking about. Whatever, but like. I feel like New Orleans is like really annoying. The Suns, they literally are, they're very fanboyish. I'll just say that. And, you know, I guess, but yeah, I just, ha- I ended up just having to mute them. Like it was, re- it was getting really annoying and they were horrifically biased, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, Other than that, I guess, uh, yeah, I mean, I-, I don't know what else to really say. Uh, the- I guess quick shout out to Aaron Holiday. Somehow shot three for 17 this game. It, it looked, it felt like he didn't make a single shot this game. He was really bad. Yeah, I'm surprised he shot that many. I mean, of course, I was I was gonna say that he should have allocated some shots to other players, but I mean, it, there wasn't really many players out there in the first place. Yeah, I mean, like, and speaking of which, I think Alfred Payton's gonna play some minutes in the playoffs. Like, I mean, if there are, if the Suns are smart, they don't blame anything because that guy, what the, f- why is he still in the league? I, I don't know. Like, like I just shit on Aaron Holiday, but at least I could see like the idea of Aaron Holiday. What is the idea of Alfred Payton? Mm. And uh, 
you know, shout, also shout out to Bismack Biombo. You know, so four, 14 points that has really has really bad hands. I know I complain a lot about Damian Jones. Biombo has worse hands than he does. Um, yeah. You know, he he actually ended up with 14 points. Congratulations to him. Um, yeah, other than that, I really don't have much to say. Like it was a very meaning. It was very much a meaningless, meaningless game for both uh, teams and. You know, the King, the Kings, like they played well enough. And like, this is kind of the idea of what the Kings could be. But like without Sabonis and Fox out there, it's like, I don't know what this is going to lead to. So, mm-hmm. you know, well, we, I guess I'm, we'll just have to wait for the next few weeks. Like, you know, if, if you were to put a little bit of money on it, which do you think that Alvin Gentry stays on the staff or stays as head coach? I'm going to say no. Yeah, I'm on the no side too. And honestly, I think this, I think this Kings team needs another kind of shakeup at the head coaching position. The the only caveat I will say is that I think I think they should keep Monty McNair as the GM for the long term, and just see, basically uh, provide some stability as, as somewhere because like it's gonna suck to if if Alvin doesn't come back because that's another head coach that's gone but I don't love what I see on the court but like I they I think I think it, there needs to be change honestly in the coaching staff and it will have to start with Alvin unfortunately oh mm, uh, yeah well we'll see uh what Monty comes up with because uh I mean, there was one or a few few choices, I guess. Uh, one was your Ackerman. Oh, gosh, I, I don't know why I'm slipping on my words. What was it, his name? Ackerman? Kenny Atkinson? Kenny Atkinson. Yeah, Levi Ackerman is, is who you're thinking <laughs> of. Yeah. And for some reason, Mike Brown. So, right, that, Mike are- Brown will be interesting. I don't know. Mike Brown, Mike Brown, Mike Brown would be interesting. I'll just say that. Hmm. Yeah, those are the only two I've heard so far. There's a third, but uh, of course I re- forgot his name. But you know, Kenny sounds uh, pretty promising. I, I wouldn't hate that. Like, wh- okay, wh- what about what do you think about this one, Frank Vogel? Ooh. Actually, he, ain't, he ain't gonna be on the Lakers. I guarantee no, that. no. I, I wouldn't mind it, to be honest. Yeah, I wouldn't mind it either, except the part where he did coach Orlando like a few years back, and like they were not good just because they didn't have a lot of talent on that team. So I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I guess we'll have to see because I can't think of it. I can't imagine it now, but I mean, once, once the season, next season plays out, I'm pretty sure it'll grow into uh, whatever system we're going to play in. Yeah. Um, again, I, I don't have any ideas. Like, let's just hope. My my only wish is that this is Monty's coach. This isn't a vet coach. This isn't some asshole in the, fr- in the ownership group that says, I want this guy because I know what I'm talking about. No, you don't. You've shown that you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Just fuck off and go, go to go, go like uh, focus on getting the Chelsea Football League. Oh gosh, I forgot all about that. And as you can tell, we are pretty done with the Kings this season. Yes, it is. It is the end of the season. I mean, we, the stuff we have said, it's. I mean, we're gonna we're repeating a lot. Like what what what's said has been already said. What needs to be said has already been said. So there's only so much you can say about just one of those things. Just 
about a team that's just keep repeating the same thing. And right now, we just hope for the best. Yeah, I mean, hopefully within the next few weeks, like we said, again, <laughs> there'll be something uh, coming up. Okay, as it stands now, after the commercial break, we'll talk about, we'll actually go through the season once more, just talking about the era, uh, like the absolute chaos that was this year um, for the Kings, like from the Luke Walton firing, from the Alvin Gentry, uh, I guess, hope, and it falling flat on his face, and then the trait, and then the Sabonis era, to the everybody's injured era, to now, so... Yeah, uh, after commercial break, we will be talking about that, a season in review for the Sacramento Kings of the 2021-2022 season. Okay, well, th- we are recording this part a day later, and uh, what, a di- what a difference a day can make. Uh, there has been a lot of news, and a lot of it involving the Kings uh, coming from the exit interviews. We'll be getting to that in a bit. Uh, I want to first uh, do the season in review. Now, I basically took the entire day to kind of come up, basically just read through the schedule and kind of just brainstorm essentially what happened this season. The season was tumultuous, to say the least. It was chaotic. There, It was depressing. It was... You know, and by all means, an absolute shit show, <laughs> basically. So um, just to kind of remind, just to kind of go down a little bit down memory lane, some good, some bad. I like to just go through like this into the season to just kind of show you how crazy it was. You ready, Fong? Oh, yeah, I am ready. All right. Let's start with the Walton era. And I am deeming this era from October 4th to November 20th. So... Uh, training camp, there were just all kinds of great things coming out from training camp. We had news of uh, Terrence Davis had a great training camp. Um, Davion Mitchell is like playing defense. He's inspiring people. He's making De'Aaron Fox better. Um, Halliburton, Halliburton looks ready. He's getting ready to start. De'Aaron Fox added a bunch of muscle. Remember that? Um, and th- there was some warning signs that like looking back were you know, kind of iffy. So remember, remember Buddy Heal was supposed to be traded in the summer? Well, he didn't get traded and, you know, he was asked about it and look, lo and behold, Tristan Thompson comes back in and saves him. Uh, Marvin, Marvin Bagley, he was not going to start. He was not even going to be the rotation to start them to start the year. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. And look where it went us to pretty much didn't really start until what Alvin became coach, and we'll get to that later. Well, I don't think it really started this year. I'll, I'll have to look back, but like I don't think it ever started. And I'll, I'll get to why he probably didn't start in a bit. But um, there, so like those those kind of like warning signs. I didn't think of it too much at the time. I don't know about you, but like it was just oh, this is weird. Marvin's just straight up not going to be in the rotation. And we even mentioned like at the start of the season, like the team doesn't really have a four. And inst- so instead, we started Mo Harkless, which was fine for the most part. We actually did okay in games that uh, Harkless started, but that that I've kind of just thought like that's kind of small, and honestly, that's really weird. But anyways, 
let's uh, let's get started on the season with preseason. We went four and zero in preseason. Again, vibes were good. You know, like the first, I think I forgot the stat, but it was like something about like the best preseason start we ever had. Anyways, the regular season starts. We get to a really, really solid five and four start, and then when you look at the schedule. It was going to be San Antonio, OKC, Detroit, and Minnesota. At the time, we were saying like, you know, four and zero right there. Minnesota was like in flux at that point. Minnesota, remember, started really bad this year, and then the rest of the three teams, those were you know, by all accounts, tanking teams like OKC, like base, you know, it's no secret. They want to tank San Antonio. They weren't really going anywhere. They ended up making the plan. <laughs> Good for them. And uh, Detroit, they are still tanking. So <laughs> that so that road trip happens. And so the worst case scenario in a lot of people's minds was that maybe you lose the Timberwolves game because that's probably the only let's just say theoretically competent team that we're going to play against that wants to win. We end up going 0-1-3 during that stretch. And that's kind of where the wheels start to fall off. Yeah, and to be honest, throughout all, or, you know, the stretch that we won, was it 1-8, and eight, correct? 1-7, and seven, sorry. The, the, we'll get to the 1-8 and eight, uh, in a bit, but nah. yes, 1-7, 1-7. Yeah, pretty much the only two teams that, uh, from all that, uh, you know, losses that stuck out to me was just Indiana and OKC. I felt like we could have won those pretty easily. They were pretty close games. Uh, let me check the OKC one real quick. Yeah, very close games within one possession, pretty much. Uh, other than that, I mean, most of the games were pretty close. Some, a couple were blowouts, but I mean, we were playing our hardest to start the season. You bring up the Pacers and OKC game. So those, the, I'll, I'll mark I'll mark these two games. You reminded me, those were kind of the games where the fan base turned on De'Aaron a bit. Was That was kind of the start because De'Aaron, like other than like a really nice game in Portland to start the, start the season, he had been very much subpar for a lot of games. And it was, and then the Indiana game came and he got his ass lit up by TJ McConnell. TJ McConnell, I believe, I forgot how many points he had. I want to say 17 off the top of my head, but like it was pretty embarrassing what uh, TJ McConnell did to him. And that was kind of the start of like just, man, De'Aaron isn't playing any, isn't playing any defense and his offense has like just been really bad. Like, is he going to be a problem? And and then you have the OKC game where the game winner, if you, I don't know if you remember, Ludor mm-hmm. strips him, strips him, gets down the court for a game winning layup. And it, it was that was kind of the, the, the turning point for De'Aaron in a way where the fan base really turned on him. And yeah, like you reminded me of those those games. And again, just two very deflating. The Indiana game, I didn't mind as much because it was a competitive game that really like the Kings could have won. And then there was a really like nice comeback in the next Suns game. But like, yeah, those two losses like really hurt. Yeah, I was kind of a little afraid of De'Aaron at that point because, I mean, it's already his fifth year. So uh, going off of, you know, his fifth year and, you know, having a pretty terrible start coming from, you know, a a really great season the year before, it's like, what's going to be coming up next? I mean, we had a lot of uh, scares of, you know, trade rumors and whatnot, but I mean... Yeah, I don't know what else to say. 
Yeah. So after that, after that disastrous road road trip, uh, the Kings proceed to lose a few more games to the point where they go one and seven in their in their uh, eight games uh, during basically from the start of the road trip, and that is punctuated by a by one final game that happened to be Luke Wong's last game to go one to go one for eight to basically complete that nine game stretch. Um, where basically against the Jazz, the Kings kept it close for most of the game before absolutely collapsing in the fourth and culminating culminating in a guy puking on the sideline and delaying the game for almost 20 minutes. And it was all over social media. And unfortunately, that was Luke Walton's last game. The last memory of Luke Walton is the, the puke game. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> I mean, it feels like uh, Kings uh, have been on the media for kind of the wrong reasons, <laughs> pretty much. No, undoubtedly, yes. And uh, so the, after that, that is the end of the Luke Walton era. That was on November 20th. I believe he was fired on the 21st, if I remember right. I don't I don't have the exact like date, but it was. I do remember it was the next day after that game. And again, just... I, I mean, I hate to say it, but just like the, the one of the most like hilarious ways to go out, I guess, is how I would describe it. Um, anyways, part two of the season uh, is what I call the Alvin Gentry honeymoon period. Now, everyone came into the next game with great vibes. We finally got rid of the source of the problem. Lou Wong was holding this team back. This team quit on him. He couldn't motivate him well enough. Like, what is he doing in that locker room? Why do we keep blowing leads? Why do why do the Kings keep falling apart? It was all Lou Wong's fault. But now we have Alvin Gentry at the helm. He's going to get these guys motivated. He's going to get these guys to play hard. He's going to get these guys to play competent basketball. They lose to the 76ers who were missing their entire starting lineup. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty terrible. But, you know, going back to the Wood Wong, uh, he went for six for 11 pretty much before he got fired. Oh, sorry for that. Yeah, sorry for not mentioning that. Yes, yeah, six for 11. And to, I guess, fast forward real quick, Alvin went 24 and 41 for, you know, the rest of the season. And I guess you could say statistically, it was pretty on par for uh, with how you know Luke Wong has started the season. Which you know brings me to my second point. It wasn't oh, it wasn't Luke Wong. It it oh. wasn't the coach. Ho- oh. Hallelujah! Some some you know a lot of Kings fans like kind of you know crawled back into their little holes and didn't speak about the coach ever again up until late in the season when they actually started when they finally came out of their little little holes and started blaming Alvin Gentry for everything because the things some some people just don't change anyways yes that deflating loss to the 76ers where you know uh Tyrese Maxey lit up the Kings and like uh, you know Jason Jones like posted a podcast afterwards saying like you look at that game and you look at the Max guy and the second-year player, and you want to you want to tell me which one looked better in that game? And I'm talking about De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Maxey. Tyrese Maxey absolutely outplayed De'Aaron that game too. It was it was terrible, like looking back. Um, okay, um, this this stretch was actually pretty decent. So after that deflating loss, the Kings 
get a nice win. Actually, let me check the schedule real quick just to make sure I'm not off base. I, there might be a game in between that. But um, so late. So after that, the Kings get a really nice win over the Blazers where Marvin made some really big shots down the stretch again and actually pulled and the Kings actually pulled that game out. And apparently Marvin screamed something into the crowd and it was not very nice, apparently, according to James Ham. He said some uh, pretty nasty shit. Um, just kind of talking to the fans, if you will. Um, that, wait, I actually don't remember this. What, what did he say? Uh, so it was never, so James Ham never said what he actually said, but like apparently he said some pretty, let's just say not safe for work stuff. Um, to like towards kind of towards the fans kind of hyping himself up but it definitely was a i guess a slip a kind of like in the moment where he's just so hyped he just kind of said what was on his mind and uh, was not kind to the king's fans and i don't blame him especially if like he's on social media and he sees the a lot of the stuff that you know that the king's fans have said have said about him and how they've turned on him like you know and he he kind of in one moment kind of just let out those frustrations Hmm, I see. Well, I mean, he has been. We'll, 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 we'll get we'll get to him in a bit. Don't you worry. Oh, uh, okay. Anyways, um, also the next game was the triple overtime win against the Lakers in L.A. Where, yeah, De'Aaron Fox played thir- fifty-three minutes and like looked like an absolute superstar. And this was a also a game where Buddy Hield played terrible for fourth quarters, yet somehow came alive in OT. And it was just an incredible game that's just may have spelled doom, honestly, like for the for the, for the Lakers. And kind, I don't want to say started their downfall, but like at that point, like people kind of some people should have sounded the alarm. I'll just say. I mean, they kind of made the wrong mistake in uh, a lot of things in the offseason. As uh, you know, the previous offseason, you know, the buddy healed situation. So, uh, so I have been, so I have uh, found out since I, since last episode, or honestly, since the like the previous half of the podcast, that apparently they could not have gotten Buddy Healed, DeMar DeRozan, and Alex. Well, they probably could have kept Alex Caruso anyways, but apparently they couldn't have gotten all those guys. So, Honestly, they might have just gotten Buddy, and sure, they might have been better, but let's not pretend like Buddy solves all their issues. Granted, still would have done what I would not have traded for Westbrook, but that's what they went with. And uh, yeah, um, have fun have fun with us, uh, you know, in the lottery and down to the dumps with the Kings, Lakers fans. Yeah. Uh, real quick, you think they could have gone Buddy and Caruso and not DeRozan and probably, you know, yes. gone a different... Ca- yes, Caruso, the Caruso, they could have kept even after getting Westbrook. It was to- it was a luxury tax thing. The Lakers just didn't want to pay more money, mm-hmm. which like a lot of people called it inexcusable because you're a championship team. You need to pay the tax. And secondly, you're the fucking Lakers. You're the most profitable team in in the league. I think I think you're more profitable than the Knicks, but like you still make a lot of goddamn money. Are you telling me you ain't got money for Caruso? <laughs> and if you guys haven't watched Winning Time, their wow, their situation with money is it's out of whack. Is it the is it the 1980s? <laughs> like, did we go back in the time machine? That yeah, like I did. I didn't know the Lakers were that that down in the dumps like in the in the 80s. But this is 2020. This is 40 years later. They got all the money. 
You yeah. tell me you can't pay a little bit extra for Caruso? Uh, well, maybe they saw something in Westbrook that they didn't see in Caruso, which is pretty much nothing. Well, they saw something. It just wasn't real. But <laughs> like, it, I, I mean, granted, it, like it's it's easy for me to say sitting here with not with millions of dollars to throw around and telling other people, telling rich people to throw millions of dollars around. Of course, I I can relate to them. I'm not rich like them, of course, you know, contrary to popular belief. But I'm just saying, you're the fucking Lakers. You should have paid for Caruso. Anyways, let's move on. Uh, Kings, Kings. So Kings win the next. Okay, no. So sorry, sorry to jump ahead, but Kings uh, follow up, follow that stretch up with two horrific losses. Or the first one wasn't that bad, but it was basically over before it ever started. The Grizzlies got to, I believe, an 11-0 start in uh, in Memphis, and basically the Kings never recovered. And yeah, the, the Kings were handily taken care of by the Grizzlies. The next game is a is against the Lakers again. And it is probably one. It's gonna be on my top on my top list for worst losses of the season. It was the Lakers game in the Golden One Center where the Kings got a double digit lead, absolutely pumped the Lakers in the first half, and then somehow gave it all back to the Lakers and let them absolutely stomp them into the ground. It was a Laker takeover of Golden One Center, and it was a fucking embarrassment. Yeah, and this is without LeBron too. For yeah. Pretty much. We won against LeBron in the first triple overtime. Now we lost without him. Something just, you know, didn't click for the Kings. And it might have given the Lakers fans some hope. Like, because guess who the best player on the Lakers was in this game? It was Russell Westbrook. Yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. We gave him some. <coughs> Sorry. Cough there. Uh, it, it gave him some hope and maybe just. You know, cop, quelled the storms, uh, at least momentarily. Mm. Anyways, um, <clears throat> the Kings would uh, go on to win the next three, two against the Clippers. And this was also a weird stretch where Harrison Barnes got injured and the Kings had no, and also Mo Harkless also got injured and the Kings had no wings. And somehow they were able to, go, to, to play the Paul George Clippers pretty well. And actually won two out of two, like two of those games. Like, and then this is probably their, I think, one of their longest uh, streaks of the season a three game winning streak, two wins against uh, the Clippers, and one against a tanky Orlando team where they allowed the, the Orlando to score 130 points. Yeah, that's crazy. I think that must be our highest scoring uh, game this season, too. I yeah. want to say it is. Let me just check another game really quickly. I think it is 142 because against the Hornets earlier in the season, we scored 140. Mm-hmm. And also Lakers 141. And that's triple over time, too. Yeah, and this was in regulation 142, which... T- you know, granted, we didn't we didn't have a comfortable win that game. We won one forty two to one thirty, but that game was way too close for way too long. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, the Kings win the win three games in a row, and then lose another two absolutely horrible losses on the road against uh, against first, the first one against Charlotte, mm-hmm. uh, where they were missing. Basically, they're most of their starting lineup. Lamelo Ball was out, and a bunch of and like a, a good portion of the uh, of the starting lineup. And this was also a game where uh, De'Aaron had two free throws to go up, misses both, 
and lose the game. So that was a deflating loss against a depleted team. And and De'Aaron had a chance to go up and choke both free throws. And then, I don't think you watched this game, but they played the Cavaliers next. And it was at the end of the first half where I, I don't have the notes in front of me, but it was something along the lines of the Cavs scored about 20 points in the span of about 30 minutes or in about about in a span of about three minutes and absolutely just broke the Kings of spirit. It, it, it legitimately did. You saw like the starting lineup in that game, just like walk down the court, play with no energy and De'Aaron like almost begrudgingly scoring a bucket to quell, to just quell the uh, run for a little bit. And ultimately the Kings actually did make a pretty nice comeback towards the end. actually, like went from like a like a 20 like I want to say a 26 point lead to a seven point lead just using the bench unit with Davion kind of anchoring it but like it was an absolute beat down that game and it also led to um the in the now infamous quote by Alvin Gentry where he he says we're not quitters and a lot of the journalists thought that was weird because like the fact that he had to say that like showed you just the spirit of the team. Like they had quit. Yeah. And I forgot if we have mentioned this, but I don't think we do well in, uh, you know, back-to-back games. And this was a back-to-back game. We played hard in Charlotte, but of course the second uh, game from a back-to-back is always the one that kind of has that hits downfall. Look, I'll say this about second nights of back-to-backs. I've seen enough teams play well at, in a second night of a back-to-back. Because, like, they just came from a game and they're still kind of amped up. So, like, they come into the next game ready and punch the team, like, that's not on the second night of a back-to-back right in the mouth. And, like, they cut, they get off to a lead. Well, I've seen a, seen a lot of teams do that to the Kings. And, like, sure, you can argue, like, physically, like, the players might be drained and, like, maybe they just don't have as much energy. I've seen enough games where I don't think that's actually really a problem. Like, mm. you know... And it's not an excuse. It's not a valid excuse to come out as flat as they did in that Cleveland game. Mm, I see. So here's this real quick. Uh, Steve Kerr has thought about, you know, maybe we should have had a 72-game season to combat, you know, a lot of the back-to-back games and, you know, all the the rest, quote-unquote resting issues. What do you think of that? Oh, I am 100%. I am 100% in favor of a 58-game season. Like, I want to go mm. to the extreme. Just straight up say, you play, you play each team twice. Yeah. Uh, there was also a funny quote where, saying where uh, it kind of protects the Warriors' 73-win uh, <laughs> season because, you know, we have a lot less games and it's pretty much impossible to uh, win, you know, you know, 72 straight games pretty much. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I, I hope they're trolling because unfortunately that that season's been tainted. You didn't win yeah. the championship. You can't mention that. I, I know they ha- they hung a banner for that season. I don't think you can. I don't think they should have just because you didn't win. Uh, <coughs> yeah, <laughs> man, that was a while ago already. Jeez. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I won't, I won't get into that too much. Um, anyways, um, the Kings would also lose a deflating loss uh, to the Raptors, where, like, both times they played the Raptors, they got absolutely punked. 
just like the crazy ass length of the of the Raptors and like good coaching and just like the amount of pressure they put on on the uh, Kings like they the Kings had no idea how to attack it and they just got punked by the Raptors and and again like Alvin comes into comes into the press conference saying like we're not quitters and that was the most embarrassing shit I've ever seen in 33 years yeah and we went to that game too I believe yeah and it, it was not pretty although I did enjoy going there but like you heard the boo birds <laughs> and they were they were that was you know another one of those things where like during this era, like the Kings stopped coming to game or Kings fans stopped coming to games and like w- the ones that did come bo- rightfully booed the players. Yeah, it was one of those few pretty much couple months of straight out like low attendance, lots of boos, but toward, I mean, towards the end, it got a little, a little better. <laughs> well, we'll get to we'll, we'll we'll talk about it. Anyways, let's move on to what I call part 2.5. It is the COVID outbreak, a.k.a. the Doug era. Now, with Alvin Gentry and quite a few players, um, I ended up counting one, two, three, four, five, six, six players out during this stretch. Like the Canes were running on a skeleton crew, both, you know, in terms of players and coaching staff, because, because I believe Mike Lombardi also was out in health and safety protocols at one point, And I believe Doug was also out after Alvin came back. So Doug Christie managed to take the helm for a few, for five games and went two and three. And it was a really interesting period because, you know, expectations were low. Like, let's be honest, because, you know, there's no real roster to work with anymore. You had, you know, Halliburton, um, Buddy, um, Barnes, and like, you just had to shuffle guys in and out, basically, during that period. And we had no expectations. And they actually performed pretty well. They performed, you know, they showed some spirit. They actually won two of those games, uh, one against the Spurs and the other one very quickly against Oklahoma City. Okay, sure, <laughs> but <laughs> sure, but like they should, they seem to show some fight. And like even the games they lost, like they they showed some flashes there. Like that we were at one of these games uh, during the it was the Grizzlies game where we weren't even sure what was going to happen because we didn't know if they were going to have enough players to actually even play. And we went there and they actually got up to a fifteen point lead like against the Grizzlies. Um, of course, they ultimately came back and punked the Kings, but like still, like they were showing something. And then there was a Warriors game in there where they were able to, they were able to like, you know, put like put the brakes, like kind of actually make the Warriors sweat a little bit and they had their full roster. So like there was some hope there uh, for a little bit. And that's kind of why I kind of break down this era as kind of the COVID outbreak era and, you know, some there might be some flashes with Doug. Yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, hopefully, he still stays in the coaching staff because I believe he'll be a great asset. Uh, as it stands right now, uh, even well, we'll t- we'll get to it in a little bit. Alvin Gentry has been has resigned, and mm. and but Doug and the rest of the coaching staff, no one has been removed yet. So no one else has resigned. Yeah, so far so good in my opinion. In my opinion. Mm-hmm. Okay, part. This is a uh, part three, what I call the King's Recession, or I was going to call it the Spiral of Death, <laughs> um, or the Kang, the Kang Spiral. I just came up with that. Um, the Kings go seven and fifteen during their stretch, and that's actually better than what I thought it was going to be. But there were some 
awful losses against good and bad teams. The most notable losses, back-to-back losses against the Rockets and the Pistons. And I am going to check right now. That is the worst two teams in the league right now. Yeah, they, that is legitimately the two worst teams in the league right now who are tanking and you somehow blow games to both of those teams. That was bad. Yeah. I mean, it was a pretty close game, but other than that... Uh-uh. I mean, no, no, was... we, no, we don't get to do that. They were tanking. <laughs> yeah. That's, Why that's are you close? True. Why are you close, first of all? And you fucking lost both of them. And <laughs> let's see. We had a full, pretty much, uh, whatchamacallit, healthy team, pretty much. I mean, we had their Aaron out there. We had got Davion out there buddy off the bench yeah i gotta say yeah those are pretty bad losses and i i don't think i've done this like well enough but like i didn't give i didn't give him props as you know as much as i felt he did he deserved last year but like Corey joseph in that pistons game to be able to do that to the kings must felt so good and shout out to him do that do that every time to the kings just so you can stick it to the kings fans who hated you because like the 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 discourse around him is weirdly toxic and i've found like there are just some player there's always going to be a player that you know kings fans will hate will just choose to hate for a season and for whatever reason he fell on that sword like the was it the second year of luke Walton? and i just thought it was so unfair because like he tried to play defense and he just didn't have any support behind him and every a lot of fans like just threw it all on him say he was a bad defender say he was just awful for the kings all uh, Corey joseph tell you can tell all those fans to fuck off yeah i mean he was the only defender in that team and i mean other than his you know offense i guess i mean look his offense is fine for the most part i mean like in the in the games i get you know with him on the pistons like he's shown it it's fine (laughs) yeah and it's just that the kings made him do stuff that he really shouldn't be doing and yeah yeah Yeah, i mean it's pretty much a team effort in terms of defense and the only person who showed up was Corey joseph i mean shout shout out to sadiq bay he always plays well against us he he don't miss from three like when he plays against us, but granted, he doesn't miss from a lot. He does, he's a really good shooter, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's looking real nice. I mean, remember those times when we tried to trade for him for Marvin? Oh yeah. Well, we did get we had something for him. At least that's you know, at least that's something. We'll, we'll get we'll get to that. Don't you worry. Um, so yes, those two like really notable losses, and w- during the stretch, you could slowly just feel the energy just being sapped from the team and the fan base. Like even on D'Lo and KC, with like the occasional win, like D- D- uh, KC would do a rap every time like the Kings won a game. But even like when they won a game, he didn't put that much effort into the rap. That's how like distraught and just how drained we felt during that period. Yeah, it was a tough period. And attendance was also dwindling. Like there were like there were some national writers who would t- who would tweet out pictures of like the Kings crowd and it was like really sparse attendance. And you know, like this this was like this fan base slowly dying. It really was. It was a bleak bleak stretch with very little hope going like kind of, you know, looking forward. There wasn't much light at the end of the tunnel if any at all. Yep, that's very true. However, there were bright spots. Uh, the Mets who game-winning three game, uh, against Dallas at home uh, came during the stretch. 
and a really nice, a really like energetic lake, uh, really energetic and really fun game against the Lakers in the Golden One Center. It was so energetic that there was a fight in the stands. There was, you know, a really like strong battle. I believe AD did not play this game, but it was like uh, LeBron and Westbrook. And it was very much down to the wire and it was intense. And by the time like the game had ended, like the, the Titantron was showing like the Laker Exodus cam where like Lakers fans were leaving. And it was a shade all around. It was a very fun game. And it was great that we won that one. It was it like if the if the Kings and if the Kings and Lakers are ever good at the same time again, this is going to be a very fun rivalry. <laughs> oh yeah, I just hope that uh, Lakers somehow recover from Westbrook because he went like what two for fourteen this game. He was terrible this game, and there was a late game like three. At, like I don't I forgot how what he shot from three that game, but like there was no reason for him to shoot that three, and that was basically the game because on mm. the next possession. Kings were up four. Metsu hits a three, go up seven, and that was the yeah. game. <laughs> so yeah, Westbrook shot zero for five that game for from free. And yes, this was the cold as ice game. Oh yeah, jeez. And we got flamed on for because of him. Yeah, I don't want to like it, it, you know there there were no reports saying this, but there were calls made to the front office, and they basically. The front, the NBA office had to call the Kings and told them not to, not to do that again. I will, I, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, propagate conspiracies, but I, I mean, if it is Westbrook, that's a pretty weak ass move. Yeah, I mean, it was more like a slap on the wrist, pretty much, nothing major. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it is what it is. Like, I don't really, like, I didn't think the Westbrook thing was a big deal, but like the fact that like Westbrook had to, Westbrook brought that up is like. Okay, sure. I won't call you Westbrook anymore, but like, let's not pretend like other people are not going to call you that behind your back. And let's let's be honest. Like, your your play does not really garner you respect. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, much of the team played really poorly during the stretch. There were like some like individual good games here and there, but they were never as a collective. Eff- there was never a collective effort from the rest of the team. Like Tyrese would have a good game against the uh, against the Sixers, like thirty-seven points. Uh, no one else would show up. Um, I think Buddy Hill may have had a good game during the stretch. No one else. No one else was behind him. Like it was just. This was when the team like really you really felt just the the collective. There was no collective anymore. It was a bunch of individuals. That was that were just trying to like play for themselves and trying to get their own stats and the and also the trade deadline was looming so like the rumors of like essentially everyone being on the trading block like it really you could see it kind of weigh on their play a little bit. Yeah, I remember those days that where it's like just a bunch of ISO plays and nothing else really. Like you said, it's all one for all or just pretty much all for themselves uh most of the games were actually pretty much all the games were terrible and one of the worst losses we've ever seen was against just boston oh my gosh 128 75 like i don't know how much to credit the boston defense at the time because boston was like like on the up at that point and one of the games that kind of got them up was this king's game but like i watched that game i didn't really like like defense was okay for the most part, but like it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't supposed to hold the Kings to like historically bad shooting. 
And yeah, that was like a, that was just a terrible game to watch. Um, yeah, so not a lot, not a lot of positive. I believe the Kings, like, it wasn't a nine game losing streak, but they had lost, let me see. Seven? Yeah, seven straight. Yeah, seven straight and just kind of some really random win, random wins in there. One against Brooklyn and then one against the OKC, who just honestly doesn't want to win against us. So like, <laughs> yeah. Um, again, like there was just no enthusiasm. It was more or less just like, oh, I guess they win. Well, cool type thing. Like it was, I like I think I, I, I had to look through the episodes again. But like I think at that point I was like, yeah, you might want to just tank now. Trade for Ben Simmons. He's not gonna play. He's not gonna play this year. And then just have him come back next year. You'll get a top four pick, and then go from there. Like that's I think that was where I was at. Yeah. Oh yeah. And the culmination of all of this was the OKC game where uh, Halliburton got 17 assists. To beat to beat the Thunder, and that would be his last ever game. And, Sadly, yeah. Well, it, it did end on a good note. Like he didn't shoot well that game, but like yeah, seventeen assists is still his career high, and yeah, that was his last game for the for the uh, for for the uh, for the Kings. Kings. And <laughs> yeah, and they I think it was either the next day or like the day after where he was shockingly traded to the in- Indiana Pacers for Sabonis. Yeah, and we all thought, you know, possibility that Ben Simmons would be, uh, you know, traded to us. But yeah, I mean, the whole NBA was shocked that Halliburton was traded. And a lot of teams, not teams, but a lot of people were thinking if Halliburton was on the trading block, why not go something higher? Well, the the thing the thing with it was I was not a fan of Sabonis before before this. Like mm-hmm. I just thought he kind of limits your ceiling a little bit. Granted, I'm talking about Ben Simmons, like one of the ultimate <laughs> team limiters. But uh, like I, I just thought Ben Simmons had a higher ceiling, how, like however high how much higher that is. But like the the Kings need a defense, and Ben Simmons could like you know um could be an answer to a lot of those defensive issues, and. You know, I just, I just, I wasn't a biggest fan of Sabonis, and, but like the thing, the thing was, you had to give up something good to get something good, and we ought, we all had the t- thought at the time, like Fox is probably the guy that's going to go. And remember, during the stretch, De'Aaron was just mysteriously out. Now, I, now, I, I will kind of staunchly believe, like he had an injury because he's a guy that will play through a lot of injuries, and if he's not playing, it's some serious shit for the most part. And I, I, I kind of gave him a break during this period, but like people were saying, maybe they're holding him out for a trade. But instead, it was Halliburton that was traded, and you know, I'd be remiss to not mention that Buddy Heel was also trading that deal and Tristan Thompson. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those two, much needed. But uh, yeah, I mean, with the acquisition of Sabonis, I mean, pretty much it opened up a really, I guess, in some ways, really good offense. It's not perfected yet, but over the offseason, it'll be perfected, I feel. Hopefully. But I'll say one more thing. Like, look, don't get me wrong. I love Halliburton. I was very sad. I'm still am very sad that he's gone. And I've I've kind of said, like, this team is about a Halliburton away from do, doing something really cool and, like, you know, becoming something. But, like, just the, re- the reaction from a lot of people, like, smart people that I respect, that like saying like oh my god why would you trade Halliburton 
Like he's this, he's so amazing. He can score. He's this amazing pass. He's an incredible, he's an incredible person. I, I won't take that away from him. And like, just how could you trade him for a Sabonis? Well, they don't even mention the Sabonis part. It's, it was just more, how could you trade Halliburton? They, ba- I, I, I will say this, they crowned him light-skinned Jesus. They really did. Like, <laughs> you know, Michael Jordan crowned himself Black Jesus. Anthony Edwards tried to crown himself Black Jesus. It didn't really work. Um, but like, it, we didn't trade away Michael Jordan in his prime. Halliburton was nice. He's really good. And I was very sad to see him go. But he's not this franchise changer. That was the kind of thing that annoyed me. And, and it, you, you know, I, I love War by Wah, but he, that he's still like throwing out tweets. Like, I can't believe the Kings trade away Halliburton after he gets, you know, fit like what, 15 assists against Boston and loses by 20 against Boston. <laughs> and like, you know, ends up weirdly fouling. I didn't watch that game, but like, he, he, he fouled out somehow. I don't know how, but like, it's just one of those things where I'm just like, he's good, he's nice. But like, you know, guys like Zach Harper, like I, I thought I thought he had it kind of right. It's like, you know, you can find guys like Halliburton for sure. And like, can you definitively definitively say he's better than Malcolm Brogdon? Oh, dear God, no. Like, this is not for on me to shit on Halliburton. He's a terrific player, but like, he's like, he's not Luca. He wasn't Luca. Like, and yeah, like, and again, they don't even mention the part where Sabonis, they forget, I always forget to mention the part where Sabonis is really good. And mm-hmm. this is one of the things that made, made me like temporarily kind of like get a, really annoyed with Halliburton. Like anytime Halliburton did anything, like it was all over Twitter. Mm-hmm. And and let's not, let's not forget this. Like this analytic darlings love Halliburton because he doesn't take bad shots. So he, his numbers look great. You look at his per 36. It's amazing. You look at his efficiency. He's amazing. And analytics people will always never understand this. Efficiency doesn't always mean good. If it, you want efficiency, a, a player that is more efficient than another does not actually mean he is better than the other. Yeah, and sadly that's the case. Like both as a player and a person, we we grown to love him in just such a short time. What pretty much one and a half seasons, and it's just so bad to see him go. And I really expected a different trade to or different trade outcome to come and i i, I kind of forgot it was been uh simmons traded before or after this, this was Simonis. after it was after it was after mm. yeah we uh, that that's right because the ben simmons uh talks were uh were well there weren't any talks going on anymore between the kings and R- Sixers. reportedly we don't know reportedly uh, which I mean goes back to Halburn. I hope he's doing well. I mean, I dearly miss him, but he, in my opinion, for what he's worth compared to Sabonis, he's still a couple years away from. No, maybe not a couple, maybe a few more years away from becoming what we believe uh, would be, you know, that franchise player that we all dreamed of. Look, uh, I'll, I'll I'll keep saying this. Right, he's a terrific player, but mm-hmm. like he was, he wasn't Michael Jordan. That that's what a lot of people were anointing him as. And let's be honest, most of these guys have seen have really only seen him play a few games. Like let's be honest, mm-hmm. no one really watches the Kings. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And like the the game, the Kings games they watch was against Philly, 
was the games where he got 17 assists, and that was about it. And we, they don't see the games where he has, you know, nine points and four shots. Ah, uh, yeah. If only more people watched Kings games, I guess. More analytics watch Kings games. Yeah. It, anyways, let, let, let's move on. I don't want to keep crapping on Halliburton. Halliburton is really good. And I, I you know, he, I'm, again, very sad that he had to go. But like it, it, it was the it was kind of a reality check for a lot of kings. You have to give up something. Don't get don't get too emotionally attached, like to a player. And I learned that the hard way because I pay full price for that Halliburton jersey, and I'm seeing it sixty bucks right now in the Kings team store. Fifty one bucks actually. So, jeez. Yeah. Anyways, uh, the king the Kings would the before the trade was finalized, the Kings played a game against uh, the Timberwolves and were handily beaten by them. However, the the next part, episode four, A New Hope. Uh, so the first game uh, against the, the with the New Look Kings, it was a back-to-back against the Timberwolves. I just mentioned the first uh, Timberwolves game where they handily got, they basically got handled by, by the Timberwolves, who were just a better team. The next game, the next, the next night, uh, Sabonis, Jeremy Lamb, and Justin Hall, they all get cleared. And they basically, there was no time to practice. There was no time to really go over much, but they just go over the basic stuff um, in terms of like what the Kings run on offense. And Sabonis comes in and, you know, Justin Holiday and Jeremy Lamb had a hand in this too, but they completely revamped the offense. It opens up just like all the, the, it basically it turned into three like 3d like the, the kings went from playing checkers to just 3d chess four like all, almost to the point of four dimensional chess in terms of ball movement and in terms of like cutting and it was just the most beautiful thing on offense like i just like all of a sudden everyone on the team just started moving the pat there was incredible passing the offense was really really smooth it truly was like not even to like make light of the the series that's on hbo right now it was euphoric it was pure <laughs> euphoria yeah and it was one of the most probably the biggest highlight of pretty much the whole season in my opinion just pretty much three not, well it was really one guy but pretty much you know the trades that we acquired just all of a sudden turned this team that turned from ISO plays all for one for all all for themselves type people to a team oriented basketball it's it's just crazy to me to think that the Kings were able to do this all this time and all it took was really one player so here, so here was the thing. I don't think it was. I don't think it was there. It was there first because Sabonis opened up so much from just being in the high post. And like I had talked to you before, like about like why they couldn't do this before. Mm-hmm. Like it's so hard to do this from the perimeter, and it's so hard to design an offense around two cards who have to create from the perimeter while the other one stands around. It's mm-hmm. tough. And but with Sabonis, it just opened up like so many passing angles. All of a sudden, people start cutting. Like the game opened up with Chemezi Metsu, I think, getting like two or three dunks, like right away. I'm just, and we're all just like, that's what he should be doing. Not, you know, dribble jumpers and mid range fadeaways and hook shots. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it, it was just beautiful basketball. It, yeah. It was so like good. 
that we almost, a lot of the fan base all of a sudden just forgave the Kings for trading away Halliburton. That was how good it was. And you, we talked about like just the, the iso ball, like that each time that the Kings ran iso ball, each time the Kings like just, you know, blew, like just looked lifeless, it was sucking the energy out of the fan base. This game brought, like it won the hearts of Kings fans right back. Like it breathed new life, new hope into a lifeless body that had been beaten down. And the Kings fans were ready to believe again. Yeah, not just that. Darren Foss also came back, and he came back strong. <laughs> As in, like it, it, it pretty much felt like he just came back from pretty much last season, where he uh, had just a wonderful season. Yeah, it was kind of where we hoped he had kind of he would have picked up from. And let's not forget, he did kind of start out like the first like game like that, but just like yeah, throughout the year, he was very just. Is he just looked off? Like that. That's really mm-hmm. what it was, and. Yeah, like getting Sabonis and coming back after that after a little hiatus he took, he was incredible. Like you know, down the stretch. Like I'm gonna pull up his stats right now. Like for you know during the month during the month of February, he shot 27% from the or shot 27 points, six assists, at four rebounds on 50, 35, 30, 55, and 77. And then in March. 30 points, seven assists, four rebounds, like on 50, 40, 76. Like he was amazing down the stretch. And a lot of it was a bonus unlocking and making things easier for him. Not to say that Halliburton couldn't have done it, but it would have been really tough in a way. And, you know, maybe they could have built to it at some point, but like, you know, have just getting Sabonis just like really revitalized not only the fan base, but also De'Aaron. Yeah, and we... We really needed, uh, you know, a big like that as well because, I mean, who are we kidding? We have Tristan Thompson, Alex Len, Damian Jones, and don't, we can't forget Rashawn Holmes, but Rashawn Holmes it wasn't that center that could, you know, unlock this kind of offense. Before Sabonis came, you know who we were talking about being the possible, like, you know, the only king or the only king's big man? You know, the the, ten, the 12 of them that they had on the roster that could actually pass? It was Kata. one. That, Kata. That's who we were talking about. A second round pick who played one game at this point, basically. That's who we were talking about. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, and we, we have Damian Jones every now and then trying to make a pass like that, but it never that never was consistent or worked. Yeah, it's a bonus unlocked so much in the Kings offense. And again, breathe life back into back into the fan base. Like the fan base started to get excited again and they started to come back to the arena. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, shoot, we, we went to a game. Well, actually, now that you mentioned it, we didn't. I don't think we went to a game uh, with Sabonis in no, at all. We, no, we haven't because this was kind of during, not really a COVID scare, but I was a bit, definitely a bit antsy to go out to an arena at that point. Mm. <laughs> well, kind of broke that curse, I guess. Yeah. Um, anyways, the the feeling unfortunately would subside. The king, the kings, like the new look kings, like were a better team. Like they played better. They, there was more movement. There was just smoother offense, more consistency on offense, especially particularly when Sabonis is on the floor. When he was off the floor, it kind of went back again to the kind of the iso ball, and it wasn't pretty. But like as soon as Sabonis is on the floor, like the, the dimensions of the court changes. But they still had, you know, 
they still couldn't win consistently and actually ran into very similar issues like that have basically plagued them for the almost two decades at this point you know mm-hmm. d- during this entire drought like after like i just mentioned like whenever sabonis went to the bench like it, the movement was very scarce to say the least yeah it wasn't as smooth and you know a lot more iso ball and, and you know jacking up bad shots the the kang's cloud still had a strong grip on the team and you know you could see it like at one point sabonis kind of lost his shit during the uh during the knicks game and got his first ever ejection like the kings the king's grip grips tight and we it will be you know it will be seen or it's to be seen if like sabonis can handle the king the king's grip oh yeah and especially during this part of season i mean I guess we were, you know, experimenting with some lineups in a way. Uh, but this was also the season where we had to decide whether or not we were going to make a play-in push or tank. And it was pretty much back and forth for the most part. But towards the end, I mean, with Sabonis out and Fox out due to injuries, it was pretty... <laughs> we were we were going to have to tank. Yeah, and I'll say this, like, the Kings did what they could. Like, they held out Sabotis and Fox towards the end. They were kind of tanking, but at the same time, like, the, the only the only complaint that I have is that yet I felt that they should have just played Kata more and just went down with the ship that way, as opposed to playing, actually playing your guys, if you will, mm-hmm. like you're trying to win and trying to stay in the play-in. That's the only, that was the, that's the only complaint I had because, like, you look at Portland, they were going to lose every game they could, OKC is who OKC is. Ty, like Ty, Tyrese and the Pacers, like they had a bunch of games that they were going to lose. Like they had a tough schedule to end the year. So like I don't think the Kings would have done anything different towards the end of the season. And you know, we'll just see if this builds into anything. It is still a, it's still in progress, and it, it remains to be seen what will become of this group. And, you know, we got to mention, like, Marvin Bagley was also traded in a separate trade, which ended up netting us, which basically ended up getting, ended up with us getting three players. We got uh, Josh Jackson, Trey Lyles, and Dante DiVincenzo. Two out of those three will likely be on this roster next year and probably will be rotation players. Josh Jackson being kind of the lone man out. Yeah, and we'll have to see about, you know, other signing as well, because, you know, Dante is, uh, I always forget, he's restricted, no. He's unrestricted. He's restricted. Jeremy Lamb and uh, Josh Jackson are unrestricted. So is Damian Jones. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we'll we'll have to see about those. But I remember reading a was it Satan Royalty post saying that we should try to keep Damian Jones. What do you think of that? I think we should. Like especially if you're going to trade Rashawn Holmes. Like you need you need a you need a guy that can give you a different look and. Damian Jones will come at a quarter of the price of, of Rashad, who is already cheap, honestly. So, mm-hmm. like, the fact that you can get half the price and, you know, produce about 70 to 80% of what Rashad does, that's a really mm-hmm. good deal. Yeah, and he really balled out towards the end of the season. It's just that, you know, there, there was some caveats with, you know, his hands. And we, I have, we have complaints about him. But, like, yeah. he's a backup big. Like, you can't really ask much more from a backup mm-hmm. big. Yeah. And hopefully, somewhere down the road, we'll see more Kata. Maybe, ho- hopefully, maybe next season, we'll see maybe eight minutes. Who knows? My hope is that, like, 
they, we re-sign Damian Jones, trade away Alex Len, and just leave that third spot to Cato. Are you still hoping for a possible, you know, Sabonis at four and maybe Damian Jones or Kata at five? I will always kind of look to that. I just, like, I get it. There is spacing issues with that. But, like, I think you can make it work if you play some damn good defense. The problem is, like, Sabonis can't really guard fours. Um, he's He's got pretty slow feet. But, like, I think you can make it work with some lineups because like you really see it sometimes with the Kings like struggle with their size issue. Like maybe you can add a four that this upcoming off season, like that's also big and can rebound and can defend. Like, although that's a tall ask yeah. for one player <laughs> is the problem. But I think you can make it work with Damian Jones at the five or even Kata at the five and, you know, just move some bonus at the four. If it's like a slower four that he, that, you know, can't really bully him. Yeah, I guess we'll have to see. All right, um, all right. One more, um, one more section. Uh, so this is the end of the Kings review year. Um, yeah, it's been a tumultuous year to say the least. And uh, let's hope that next year won't be this bad because it's been two straight, been two straight years of just really up and down play, and or up and down like, you know. Yeah, basically, of just two very all seasons that are all over the place, and just like we want a better outcome at the end of it for sure. But like, just during the process of it, it was so ugly. Like, it's got to stop at some point. Yeah, and you know the word, the Kings always give you hope for the next season. And let's let's hope that this time, well, you know, not to repeat myself, but like, let's just pray. That the next that next season will be different. Yeah, and I believe so. To be honest, I mean, what's about? I mean, looking at how you know well Sabonis and Fox are playing together, I could expect the team to you know come together and you know play as efficiently, better offensively, and hopefully we find find out how to fix our defense. Okay, well, let's hope that, you know, the next the next uh, part of the Kings review or that I can add to this for next year is that maybe it's the 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 kingdom strikes back. We shall see. You didn't get the reference, did you? I mean, it's a Star Wars reference, right? It is a Star Wars reference. Yes. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you wanted me to answer. <laughs> I, well, like, you know, the kingdom, the, the empire. Yeah, I, I used I used to watch Star Wars. I haven't watched it. I haven't watched the new ones. Oh yeah, you should watch Mandalorian and stuff. Maybe I'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> I probably will. I need I need to watch it. Maybe one of these days I'll get Disney Plus. One of these days. Mm-hmm. Hey listeners, uh, sorry for the. Uh, weirdly abrupt ending to this episode. Um, looking back at the recording, I realized that this um, basically ha- um, there's a third part that me and Fong recorded, and it is it by itself is an hour long. So if I include it um, in this episode, this episode will be two hours long. And honestly, I don't. I just feel like that is too long of an episode, and I decided to just kind of cut it cut it here 
and post the second half of the podcast uh, as a bonus episode instead, just to make it a little bit more digestible. So yeah, um, if you are interested in listening to more of me and Fong talk, and the topic will be um, the basically the barrage of King's news that was dropped on us on the on April 11th. And uh, yeah, we'll be going over that um, in the next in the bonus part. Uh, yeah, sorry for the abrupt ending. Um, if you do if you do want to listen to it, uh, p- please click on the bonus episode. It, it will be posted shortly.